Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast, brought to you by Blue Box Partners, the only show dedicated to small business residential surveyors and valuers, created by surveyors for surveyors. In every episode, you'll learn something new about the vibrant and thriving industry of residential surveying. We don't mind what flavor of surveyor you are or what level of experience you might have. If you're in the business of helping people with their homes, this is the community for you. Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast. I'm Marion Ellis and today I'm talking to Juliet Weston. With over 30 years experience in the residential sector, covering private practice, local government and charity, Juliet started to work for herself six years ago. So hello, Juliet. Great to have you on the uh, podcast today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. And we were just saying, actually, well, we were just check- I was just checking that the sound and, and everything works. And you were saying, why on earth would you want me? I'm a nobody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I listen to other people and I think they're far more interesting. And I thought, well, I'm just an ordinary person. But that's the point. And that's the reason why I wanted to start this podcast, not really to have the the big names, the well-known names, but just the ordinary surveyors out there who do amazing work. And I've got really interesting stories to tell. And and, and just to bring some bring some of that variety, I feel like I hear the same names all the time. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I don't know how far back you want to go. I always initially wanted to be a vet. I just love animals have a passion for horses, um, but just a hobby, hobby. And I just wanted to be a vet. But academically, I knew I wasn't quite up there. You know, I got into the grammar, which was fine, as they did back in the day. And um, I knew that if I hadn't passed my gr- the grammar school, got straight in, I would have had to have done a borderline, which is doing an essay. You had to do an essay. And I was just useless. I remember my English teacher saying, Juliet, you're just like a butterfly. You flit from one thing to another, which was typical of me. And But I got in and um, had a great time. It was a very small grammar school, very small. I had a great time, didn't necessarily doing any work, played, you know, I enjoyed sports, etc. Did my A-levels, but flunked those. Um, my A-level course was really getting an A-level in card playing with the boys in the study. But there we go. And then that it was a question of, oh, what shall I do? And I was always interested in being outside. So I didn't want an office job. I didn't want to be a secretary. And I didn't want to go down the normal routes of being either in the bank, joining the services, or doing the high academic stuff, because I just knew that I wasn't necessarily equipped to do the academic. So I sort of tried to do my A-levels again. And then, and I enjoyed that. But again, I decided to opt out. My parents were very good. We, I'm one of five children and that uh, I've got a twin brother and we were just so, you know, we we're very close and he was my friend and buddy and we were the youngest. So we were slightly feral in our childhood and we just got up to mischief etc but um and he went away to school and I didn't you know so it was that kind of scenario if you can imagine Mm. back in the day so um I did a bit of work on the farm and then I did a bit and then I was always interested in silver at primary school and chattels and my dad knew of somebody had a friend who knew somebody and then said, well, do you want to work for a firm in an estate agent's an old practice? 
So I said, yes. Yeah. So I think I was about 21st. So I was about 18. Yeah, eight, 19, 19. And so I went to work for this practice in, in Hereford, quite well known, and just as like an article pupil. And then I decided to look at estate management. But because I didn't have the required A-levels, I went the O-level route, which was the ISVA. Funny that that ISVA is there again, but it's Incorporated Society of Valuers and Auctioneers back then. And I did that and absolutely loved it. Do you know, mine was the same. My, yeah. my degree wasn't an RICS accredited degree. It was ISVA yeah. back in the day when I was yeah. up in Wrexham. And uh, then it got merged at the time yeah. into RICS. And that's how I got on the RICS path. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, you know, mm. yeah, and there was an article in The Guardian. I'll share a link uh, in, the, in the show notes um, talking about how universities are having to award grades differently now. And, and you know, I, I put a post that on LinkedIn just saying, well, I got a 2 2. And I was very embarrassed by oh, that yes. for a long time. But yeah. it, has made absolutely no difference whatsoever uh, uh, to my career. So yeah, yeah, interesting how we all. Yeah. So so I had so I so I worked part. So I went to this. Um, I was there two years, and I, I, I met my current partner there. But we went our separate ways, and it's funny how life ch- turns around and does all sorts of things. And I went up to Birmingham. It was a tech, like a tech college, one day a week. And I got my first sections at uh, first pass or whatever. And then I went down to Southampton and did the full-time course. So I left my part-time work, did it full-time, passed, and then uh, went out and, out into the world and, and got a job as a general practice surveyor. My, my degree was estate management, and it's quite a variety, isn't it? It's quite yeah. an introduction to everything. I, I, and I would always... I, uh, then when I was working latterly, somebody wanted to do a uh, uh, surveying and I, and they said, what should I do? Should I do building surveying? And I said, well, if you can do a more general degree, I think that is far more valuable because, as you know, during your course and your career, you can specialise. But if you have a good grounding, it's like anything, uh, you know, you have good foundations and you can build upon that. So I would always recommend if somebody could do a more round start and then specialize thereafter yeah yeah I'd, I'd second that I'd second that yeah so so um I then worked for uh, and then whilst I was at college I met my my husband and you think are you never going to marry the next door guy and you did so <laughs> so I, I I was still at college and I got married so it was great you know um married life you know I, I used to come home every weekend from Southampton and it was like a second honeymoon and so that was great and I've got three beautiful children but during that time it, I got jobs in local practices um, and did just general estate management and then back in in the 80s all the estate agents got purchased and sold up all the partners decided to make their money and sold to the institutions and we were sold to the dear old Prue and uh, by that time, I had well, I was a manager of a local uh, office, um, and then I had my first child, and so I came back in to a completely different scenario. Whereas before we were a general practice surveyor, where we did a bit of this, bit of that, which was great, and then it was sort of you could either go into agency surveying or whatever. And I thought 
I don't like the way, as it were, agency was going because I just thought the service, it was too corporate for me. So I went into surveying and I then went into surveying totally, build just residential. And um, that was great. And um, I still largely enjoy it. And um, then I had my children whilst that. And because it was a rising market, as it were, things were going very well. Uh, I changed jobs. And then, of course, the crash came and got made redundant. And during that time, I thought, oh, what am I going to do? And it was because I got made redundant. And then you think, what am I going to do? And also, I was pregnant. And so I thought, well, because everything was getting more concise and people were getting readily to sue us surveyors back then, this was the late 80s, early 90s, I decided to do a building surveying degree because I thought, well, I better just see if I can actually become an RICS person. And I wanted to more specialise. So I did a building surveying degree part-time up at the Birmingham Poly. So I used to go there one day a week up to Birmingham Poly, thoroughly enjoyed the course. And then I got my building surveying degree at dear old Birmingham Poly. And yeah, and so, and then at the, then it was the late, 90s. And then, of course, the ISBA, ISBA merged with the RICS. So I thought, oh, I don't have to do the APC. You've done that with the APC. <laughs> so I thought, yes. I, so uh, I then sneaked in to the RICS in 2000, although I was you know, qualified because I think the ISBA was certainly up there with the RICS. And it was, you know, we were perfectly capable of doing all that the RICS and it was a snobbery thing, I think. But that's by and by. You might have to cut that out, but there we go. So then that's when I became RICS back in the day in 2000. But I previously had been qualified back in 84, 90, no, eight, yeah, 1984. Mm. A lot of people take actually a lot of time to become chartered surveyors. Yeah. And it's always, oh, it's always interesting, the, the things that happen to people's careers. And there's a couple of things you've, you've, you've mentioned there. Uh, maternity leave. Oh, yeah. You know, sort of yeah. leaving and then coming back and the world being totally different. That resonates with me. You know, with my first, uh, we were going through a recession or, or the, the claims were just starting to happen. On my first maternity leave, I left and then I came back and I was lucky to manage to get haggled for part time. Yeah. And it was a choice of do, do I go down the, I had a central role then, do I go down the audit route or do I go down the complaint route, dealing with complaints? And oh. I thought, yeah, this is just going to get bad. <laughs> I need I need to keep in work, and yeah. I, I went down the complaint route, yes. and it and it really shaped my uh, shaped my career. And then also redundancy. I went through redundancy when I was yeah. fifteen weeks pregnant, and sort of trying to hide it. And I know, not, <laughs> not it's very. frightening. I, I got made redundant when I was yeah, I was about eight weeks or just below 12 weeks just below, and I got made redundant uh, they closed the whole office actually and then yeah that was with Amelia and that's when I decided what am I going to do and then that's when I went and did my building surveying degree up in Birmingham so I was pregnant or had I oh I can't remember anyway I went and then my third child Richard I got pregnant whilst I was doing the part-time course in Birmingham. And um, and so I remember we had to go on a, you know, we used to go on these uh, the trips. There would always be a, um, a trip out every year. And we went to Lincoln Cathedral. And I remember taking Richard. He was eight weeks old. And I went, I was, the, there was a, only me and a, another girl on the course. 
and we went down to Lincoln's Cathedral. So Richard could claim that he went up to the Belfry, eight weeks old, strapped to his mama, and we all went round um, Lincoln's Cathedral. It was fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So I had him in his Moses basket, and I just took him along. So, um, so oh, bless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, when Pete, it's interesting. I mean, you see it now, but even you know, back in your day, dare I say it? You, know, you have these sort of periods of time off or, you know, maternity leave or things happen. And it does change your perspective of, well, what do I want to do when I come back? And not necessarily, you know, the, not necessarily the whole, you know, will the work-life balance thing work for me? But I think your perspective does change when you have some time away from work. And yeah, as we stand now, we're still, well, we're not, we're not in lockdown, but we're not all back at work yet. And it'd be interesting to see how people approach that whether they think yeah. you know what? I'm not going to do the same job anymore I want I, I want something so. a bit more I, I think so and it and, and I think initially if you've got an interest always follow that interest because if you're passionate about something you're so much more readily able to learn and absorb it if you're not because at school I was just a little fairy going from one thing and and I look back and the O-levels that I did get were those teachers that engaged with me and made it really interesting. And I think when I clicked on to surveying, it was outdoor, it was buried. I love old buildings now. I go anywhere and I always look up, always look up to see what the buildings are like now. So I still have a passion and that passion is changing slightly to what I'm thinking of doing even now. But I would always encourage people, if you think it's absurd what you're passion is just go for it and I think I always tell my children whatever you want to do it's the world is your oyster and it is so true now my Mm. back in the day it wasn't quite so world as your oyster unless you were really focused and there's so many people I look at these top athletes professional people and they are so focused and you think well no wonder you're at the top of your game but the large majority of us were not quite so focused but and you want to enjoy life you know yeah. if, you're, if you're an athlete yes it's gross about the gold medal yeah. but you can't eat all the chocolate you want oh. you can't mix with your oh. friends because you no <laughs> no training. exactly exactly who wants to be a top athlete i don't know <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so i had my three children change jobs i think i've uh, up until and then i got made redundant and then i worked uh, a colleague he, he he decided to start up on his own. And so I worked for him for, um, uh, had a lot of fun, did part-time work with, with Jonathan. And it was again, it came the crash. And I was thinking, Jonathan, you have got to make me redundant. You have got to make me redundant. By that time, I had three children. And he, he did, in the end, make me redundant, um, which was the sensible thing for him to do. And I was thinking, oh, what am I going to do? I was working part time and I had three children. And then there was an opportunity to, oh, yeah, to work with the local government, local district authority in their estates department. So I thought, oh, I'll bung in an application, went for an interview. And lo and behold, I managed to um, get the job. And I thought, oh, gosh. And I remember when uh, Richard, the guy who I was working for, rang up and said, oh, you've got the job. And I said, oh, wow, you know, fantastic. And I said, can I still finish my course? I sort of said that I was doing a course. And um, but, you know, you just say you're doing that. This was 
fire this was finishing my my building surveying degree so it was back in the back in the 90s and uh back in the late night mid 90s because Richard was born yeah so it would have been 93 upwards to about 97 and um so I was on my last year so I was doing part-time at Jonathan's and then also doing the course so I got this job anyway with the district authority and they said yes but you'll have to make up the time yourself so I paid for the course luckily I was redundant when I first signed on so I got the fees paid for latterly the last year so I got the job and I had to make up the time of having the one day off by working extra because it was flexi time. You had to work extra time. So they allowed me to finish it, luckily, um, which was great. Um, And that was a very interesting two years. I was on a short term two years contract with the local district authority and what kind of work did that was that did that involve then that was they had a small estate so it was a variety that they had offices industrial units parks cricket grounds just to imagine a small district authority with their assets and we just had to manage them and I learned a lot there there was uh, but they were going through restructuring themselves. And so the morale on the permanent side was very low. And it was when the local authorities sold their council houses. Right. So we, we had, as it was termed, the Malvern Millions. And, and they then invested, you know, people could apply for grants to do up community, um, build community halls and things like that. So it was a very interesting time. But of course, I was coming from private practice with a not not necessarily a developer's eye on it, but you go into and the head of the department was a planning person. And so they say, well, we've got this car park and we're not quite sure what we want to do with it. And so I just chirp, oh, well, why don't you just convert that into something else? And of course, local authority, you know, local government is so different from private practice and how the other half lives. So it was a good understanding on how local government works as opposed to private practice so I can see or understand Mm. how each each side works so that was a valuable two years and again we had a lot of fun and it was it was it was I enjoyed working with the people and the different uh, departments so that was good Uh, but it was only a two-year contract and so I was looking at um, further jobs and that was the first time I had gone back full-time work with from the kids so uh, I think how did you find yeah how did you find that um um that was quite you know you always get the guilt of leaving the children but I did have help and I've got my family quite close so I'm very lucky in that respect you know I think now that we're more diverse you know I've got my one daughter in Australia another daughter in London and my son in Bristol and you think whereas I've got my family quite close, so I'm quite lucky. So I've got the backup there. And I'm just thinking as and when they have children, it's not necessarily going to be the tight structure that I had or was lucky enough. And it's, I I think, personally, I think employers are going to have to look at that because I think, and I think the flexibility that this uh, pandemic has created will enable employers to think oh yeah you want to work from home because you just want to skive but actually you get a much more loyal workforce and you will get the most out of your employers employees uh, yeah I, I agree with that it's um I mean for me as some of the, the the listeners will know 
I'm having to juggle my time of working early yeah. mornings, weekends, evenings, just so I can be a bit more present during the day with the uh, with the children. It's it's really hard, and I know a lot of. I mean, I, you know, I count myself sort of lucky compared to many that that uh, that said, but I don't have family nearby at all. My family are in uh, in North Wales, and I'm you know uh, near yeah. Milton Keynes, so it's not as easy just to pop over, no, or, or anything. And and when my children were young. It was hard and you pay for childcare and I counted myself lucky that I could earn enough to pay for childcare. Yeah, absolutely. It is a stress and it's expensive yeah. and, and, you know, we're all looking for silver linings as we come out of this, um, uh, this, this situation and I would hope people's appreciativeness of what it means to child to look after children yeah um, I think pay, so pay people in those roles absolutely and I think the flexibility yeah yeah if you're happy you know like saying you know make sure you look after yourself Marion because if you're happy your children will be happy because all they want to make sure is just mummy and daddy are happy and if, if there's tension with you guys it'll just filter down to the kids and it, you know it does know it. it does but you know the kids are also happy if they're just watching YouTube or yeah. something yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm that kind of parent, Julia. I know, and yeah, likewise. I think, I think, I think children are adapt, and um, as long as you give them, they will go to the line that you put the, the the line to, and they will creep right up. They'll try and jump over it, but as long as they know the repercussions, that they soon go down below the line. I think. So, tell me about how you got from local government then to working for yourself. Well, well, in between that, uh, I went from local government, I saw this advert and it was working for the church. And I thought, well, that sounds just an amazing job description. You have to be superwoman for to look after all that. And it was a local diocese. They wanted a property manager. They wanted to bring a qualified surveyor in-house to do the work that they often outsourced, you know, as with local government and a lot of institutions it goes round in circle they outsource and then bring it in house etc etc so I applied for this job and uh, amazingly I actually got it and I remember going to the interview and I said well they said what did you think of the job and I said wow well, you've got to be superhuman to actually do all the stuff that they were actually asking you to do or be responsible for but um, I got that job for Gloucester Diocese and I was there for nigh on 15 years. And that was amazing. A great people to work for. So interesting. So interesting. And you think, well, there's, uh, that's another story um, working there. But what well, in terms of the people? To in work the for. terms of the people and how, how you're dealing with a large institution that um, the cogs go really slowly and how you have to do certain procedures mm. and the breadth of different people and because it was um, uh, a beautiful county of Gloucestershire you you have the different kinds of people it's a very rural county but um, there's just so many variety of different people within that mm. and the church has to look after all those and you can and it's very interesting actually. and what I wasn't involved in I wasn't involved in the churches I was just involved in the in the uh, vicarages right, and yeah. the houses and the glebe land yeah so that lasted um, and then they were sort of and then the opportunity I was at a time of my life that um, during that time 
um, as some marriages do, they go a little bit tits up, and that all went pear shaped. And and, it, and you know, looking back on that, I was glad I was in a secure employment because I needed the job in order to look after my children. So that's an inter- that's that's an interesting um, an important point is that as women, we need to make sure that we are financially independent. Yeah, and. I do see it sometimes actually through my through the coaching that I do with women surveyors that actually it, within our roles we're great at managing budgets we know all about uh, money and financial um, mm. security of businesses but we we don't always seem to look after ourselves financially when it comes to being you know within a relationship that might break down or yeah you know I, I agree I think it's so important to make sure that you make sure that you can do something that you're not necessarily reliant on somebody else. I've always said that to my girls, just and they're quite independent. But even for a guy, you know, you just got to be reliant upon yourself. And everybody has got skills, and everybody has got. I always see the good in people. Everybody's got a bit of good in them, even though they might be seen to be dreadful. Everybody, and it's just teasing that out of everybody and I think everybody has a level to which they can go and uh, should be rewarded accordingly and some people are quite happy to be at a certain level and as long as they they're happy then that's absolutely fine we don't have to strive to be the richest person we don't have to strive to be but we have we do have to help ourselves I have to uh, have to say that so I was at a time where I've got three children eight nine and 14 13 yeah and um that all went itself, but it all resolved itself and I worked uh, still for the church and then the, it came a time where the children had all sort of left home they were all at an age where they had left home and they didn't need me financially that's not to say that their dad didn't help me he did he did you know but I thought well what shall I do and I was I was 55 and I thought I'm going to see if I can go on my own because you can always, there's always that itching thing to say, well, I will never know if I can manage on my own or not. So I thought I was off to New Zealand with a friend and we were going to New Zealand to spend three weeks because she had a friend over there. So we're going to stay there. And that was at the beginning of December. And I had made that decision in the end of November so I had three weeks in which to tie up and tidy my desk before I went to New Zealand because I wanted to end it at the end of the mm. year rather than do my three months. So we yeah. agreed that. So we agreed that. So whereas most people think, oh, yeah, I'm going to go on my own and I'm going to do this, this, this and this. I had I had made the decision three weeks went to New Zealand. And so whilst we were in New Zealand, my friend who is also called Juliet, we thought, now what do I want to do? And so we were writing up or deciding on how I would do things. And you know, when you think, oh, you're going to go down this road, and then you start doing the job and you go down that road. So I was thinking I was doing this. And so I've ended up doing what I am doing now. Um, I still do work for the church and the dean and chapter. And, uh, you know, odds and sods, but I'm predominantly surveying and I do um, other little bits and bobs as well. But um, it was whilst 
I was started up on my own. And then I went to a summer school at Sirencester on conservation. And I loved it. And I absolutely loved it. And um, and I thought, oh, I want to get into this. So that I then looked at some courses and MSc courses and things like that. And then that's when I went down. I decided to do a part time course for sustainable building conservation at Cardiff Uni. Absolutely loved it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So many different things I've learned and now I am impl- applying them. And it was there that I found the uh, assignments and putting things together quite difficult. And so I thought, well, maybe, you know, they said, well, maybe you're dyslexic. And I, so I did the test um, in my last year when I thought, well, I'm going to have some help with the dissertation because 20,000 words was just a nightmare thought for me. And so I did the, the test on whether you have traits of dyslexia or whatever. And I found that I was dyslexic. And actually all the way and so it just put in perspective of why I was having difficulty at school back in the day and how you just adapt um, and I found even when my I remember my first job and it was when you had secretaries and they used to sit out in front and say would you do a letter to such and such and I could cope with that because all I would say to Marianne, oh, Marianne, can you do a letter to so-and-so along the lines of, and she would just type it up. So, and then we became more computer and we had to do it all mm. ourselves. So I understand now the reasons why I've had difficulties and I've adapted to that. Do you know and what? That's really fascinating. How, how interesting to, to discover that so late on in, yeah. your, uh, yeah. in your life and career. And I just thought I was thick. You know, you just think, oh, well, I can't do because I can't do dictation. I couldn't spell. And so I was just at the bottom of the class. And so I think... Do you know, there's a... The, yeah, do you know, there's a number of... Um, a couple of surveyors that I've met, met actually over the years who are dyslexic. And they're the hardest workers. Yeah, because you, you have know. to do twice... Like, if you're good at writing, you can do it in ever. But once I start writing, it's fine. It's actually getting mm. what's in your mind to the paper. And once you start, it's absolutely fine. But it's that first... Yeah, and it it, and it, it is quite difficult. And so um, my partner, David, he he's great because he will proofread. And when I was doing the course, he would proofread. And he said, well, why don't you just say this? And I said... Brilliant. That's what I was wanting to say. But you just adapt, and um, so uh, so. How do you how do you manage that now with your work? You got got, systems and things in place. Yeah, got systems in place. I um, when I first started, I got Phil Parnham's. I think the the phrases, and then you adapt your own. And because dare I say, a lot of the surveys. The, the properties are totally different, but that some of the a lot of the scenarios are the same. So I have a good memory to think, oh, I know that property that was similar to that. So I have a look at the phrases that I have used, and I do a lot of research on on how to on the the problems. So I sort of have my good phrases, and I I I do what I presume a lot of other people do, just stick and paste but altering it, making sure it's not the same, if you know what I mean. Um, and I've just adapted strategies to, to help me, but it does take a little bit of time mm. to actually do, but I just have to build that in. 
so yes, so I decided to go down the route on my own, and I haven't really looked back. I I, I enjoy the uh, going to all sorts of different properties. It is tough. I managed to do work when I finished with the diocese. They um, I did go back and help them. Um, after a certain amount of time so I could go back and do a little bit of work so that helped me and then it was just getting into you know you have to do all this networking because I was 15 years out of out of being in normal land as it were Mm. didn't have to do the networking so how so how do you manage that then well (laughs) I love it (laughs) you know lots of people hate the networking Mm. And uh, because you have to do your 60 seconds and you might say, well, you're verbal going on now, but that's fine because it's only me and you. But when I have to stand up in front of people, unless I know what I'm going to say, once I know what I'm going to say, it just comes out like verbal diarrhea. If I don't, <laughs> uh, I have to. And then I can relax into it. And um but I hate it. So, so for some people listening who haven't networked in small groups, generally what would happen is you would join a networking group and they ask you to do a 60 second elevator pitch or yes. whatever. Once yeah. I heard it described as a uh, captivating introduction. Yeah. But you stand up and you know, say, what you, say what you do. But it can be really hard. Really hard. Really hard. <laughs> and and, and a, a great a, a friend who helped me actually overcome this and gave me some you know life coaching um it was through a friend I used to work with I said Juliet you go and see another another Juliet but with how you j-u-l-i-e-t-e but um and she was great she gave me she was used to doing this and so she she mentored me of how to do it and we still um keep in contact now and it was it was it was um an insight on how to do it but it, but it, I would if anybody is nervous about going to networking, don't be too nervous because most networking group, unless they're really pushy pushy, are there to welcome you and they want mm. to gain something from you. So just be true to yourself, and then it comes over, and just explain what it is that you do. And sometimes I think I try and explain, which to you, being a surveyor, it's just obvious, but actually. Those who aren't surveyors just think, wow, you do that? How do you do that? And you just think, well, it's just a bit of common sense, really. Yeah, and you know, that's your superpower. You know, I I talk about surveyors' superpowers and it's it's what comes to us naturally. But everybody's different. And, you know, one of the things I think we've got to be mindful of is how we connect what we do to our customers and what surveyors don't do very often, and this is something that I um, I support people on through um, the coaching that I do, and also the uh, we've got a new mini mastermind that we're about to launch for for surveyors. You know what we what we talk about is well, who is your ideal client? Do you know what? Yeah. As a surveyor, you can have an ideal client. Who do you love to work with? And you then tailor what you would offer that ideal client. You know, yeah, so the way yeah. that you would talk to a young couple is very different to someone who is downsizing or someone yes. who has a portfolio. Yeah. And you, you might, you know, you, you can do the same job for all three of them, but you yeah. just explain it different. And that is, that is your marketing. That is your sales pitch. But it starts with understanding that journey, that whole sort of customer experience yeah. journey. Yeah. But, but coming back to what you talked about, that sort of at the start of the conversation about passion, 
you know, if you if you love what you do, yes, it comes through. It comes through. Mm. So long as you don't get a bit too geeky. Yes. <laughs> go the other way yeah. the other way because yes. we can be quite extreme yes <laughs> I, I, yeah I agree and I think you know the way I'm I totally agree with you helping the clients and those clients who you've helped it's great when you get a recall back from them to say oh I'm I've, I've done this property up I'm, I'm moving would you be kind enough to do another survey for me on my new property that is so good mm. and um and then even I did a quote um and they had already purchased a, a property and so it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a quote it wasn't a survey per se that they wanted they just wanted some understanding on the type of building that they had bought which was a black and white half timber building so I said well I'll go and have a look and I think it's important to sort of and I will spend time not charging because I think that builds a, a relationship and 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 I just enjoy helping and I it was a black and white and that so I went across and I said oh well, you want to do this this and this and this and I just gave them just general advice and it was so and um, they said oh thank you so much and it was really they really appreciated what they had done and actually I want to contact them again just to see how they're doing because they were a young couple he was a skilled carpenter so he was able to do a lot of things um that were was just general maintenance but just general maintenance in the right way and mm. making sure that the building breathes and so it'll live for another 200 years and that's what i'm so passionate about now is seeing these old cottages old terraces that back in the 70s and 80s and 90s we did so much work because we hadn't got the knowledge that we have now mm. and you see all the faults that are coming to the fore and actually trying to resolve those faults but trying to resolve them in a managed way because the poor souls that are living there haven't got necessarily the money in which to do it so you have to do it piecemeal and that's what I'm really interested in and so your uh, surveyors hub has been a godsend because I'm learning so much and I'm thinking oh oh really I didn't realize that and you think oh, <laughs> bloody hell I've um yes but but it's interesting and uh, it's interesting the conversations um do you know no matter how long you've been a surveyor there's always something that you that you learn to learn you yeah. know and also as you said the regions differ yeah yeah but, but so that's my that's what I'm passionate about. And I think how we're all trying to rebalance ourselves with this pandemic. And I think, you know, it's going to get greener. Things are going to get greener in the green sense, not as the colour. And we're going to have to live better with nature and live better with the buildings and how they're going to actually utilise possible redundant buildings now is going to be really interesting. Yeah, you know, I mean, the the landscape's totally changed, hasn't it? We're going to have a lot of commercial buildings mm. that might not be up right, up, um, yeah. uh, open. The high street. Yeah, that will change. You know, that will change. But but you look at back, and the things all go in circles. I always absolutely. Think. And and you absolutely. think the high street. What were they before? They were shops. They were residential. Mm. Mm. So it might be that they'll go back and have people living in more in the cities. I don't know. But it yeah. will be an interesting time. But I think we just have to be open. Absolutely. Open to it. See what happens. Explore. Interesting. Interesting times ahead. Oh. So, I, yeah, I'm just an ordinary surveyor learning 
as we go, and I have flown by the seat of my pants at times, and I think you learn from that. <laughs> so, but um, but it, it's a profession that I would encourage anybody to go down, and especially girls, because I think we can be possibly our, unless you're a complete high flyer, our demands aren't quite as, our demands may be slightly less, and so we can be more easily satisfied in some ways. I don't know whether I'm making sense in that way, but I think, I think you, you know, everybody's saying, oh, there aren't that many women in top jobs, because I think family comes into it. And I think we have to balance that, but that's not to say that we're not capable of doing that. I think we're very much capable. Uh, I think it will be that employers are just going to have to look at what um, the female can give to that their company. And I think they will see that it's far more than what they initially thought. And what do you think, um, well, so what do you think? You say that you're an ordinary surveyor, but actually you're, there's not many women in their 50s who decide to set up on their own. No. Yeah, no, I know. I would say just go for it. You don't know what tomorrow will bring, but if if, if you feel, uh, and and also it might be at a time where your children have grown up and so you don't need that money that you once did when you were younger because, as you know, the drain on dear old children is such a, 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 um, a, a pull that you've you've got to think of them. So, and I think I'm I'm lucky enough to, to 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 not have a mortgage and my overheads, and so I do maybe go hand to mouth in some respects. But I just think, well, I if I can't make enough money, I, I I'll turn to something else. When I came back from Australia, seeing my daughter, it was in the middle of this pandemic. I had some surveys booked in for when I came back. So I thought, well, I know I've got some money coming. That just went down the pan. I thought, I've got nothing coming in. I applied for the self-employed, was eligible for that. But in the meantime, I thought, I'm not going to rely on David to um, make ends. I, was, I, I thought, I oh, um, the, uh, the factory up the road. I thought, any packaging? So I went. And worked there, and I thought, oh my back! I came back <laughs> and I was on the minimum wage, working with the girls and the blokes doing packaging. And I just thought, well, if there is, there are jobs there, if if you want to. So I just think when they say, oh, there's no jobs, you just have to bite your bite your pride and just do something. Oh, absolutely! You know, you just have to go ahead and do what you can, but equally treat it as a learning experience. Yeah. Uh, when I was um, just starting out as a surveyor after the recession in the nineties, uh, I came across um, a lovely chap called Les, and I would go out with him sometimes, and he'd show me how to do surveys and, uh, and everything. And uh, I got chatting to him one day, and he was telling me actually, and he was really chill that guy, you know. And yeah. I was saying, how come you're so relaxed? You know, I'll be terrified of getting this wrong, and, and you know, and he, he sort of puts things in perspective you know, and sort of told me about his life and stresses up and up and down. And through the previous recession, he said, you know, he'd, he'd lost his job, thought that that's all he could do was do surveys, yeah. um, mm-hmm. but he needed to bring money in. And he ended up being a London bus driver for two years. And he absolutely loved it because he had a passion for buses. 
Yeah. <laughs> but he said he got to talk to so many people. Absolutely. And it really improved his his confidence with customers. Yeah. You know, kept a roof yeah. over his head and then when the time was right, he went he went back to the back to the job. And and so it, and as you say, community, you know. Absolutely speaking to all sorts of different people with the it's so important to be able to speak to all sorts of different people. Mm. All sorts of different people. And uh, and and I think and it to make them relax and just because uh, I don't know whether politically you know just because you may come from a family that is as it were higher standing doesn't mean to say that you can't talk to somebody you know mm. on the streets we're all, we're all human beings at the end of the day and we should be able to be have some compassion but I just think it's so important to be able to speak to all sorts of different people and one and and to be able to help them. Yeah, and I, and and as a surveyor, that's the one thing that I notice about mm. good surveyors is that sort of life maturity of not just that we might have been through the the mill ourselves, but that we've learned from that, and that when you walk into someone's home, you walk into their lives. Yes. And, and that's not just seeing the dirty washing hanging around and <laughs> that they haven't made the beds. You know, it's it's understanding how they got to there. You know, they could yeah. be going, you know, if they didn't get this remortgage, they could get repossessed. Yeah. You oh, know, it, know. It, could, it could be they've taken on, uh, you know, a property worthy of the, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a, a money pit. You know, they could be downsizing and, and worrying about it. And you don't have to counsel them in all of that, obviously, but yeah. how you... How you use your your body language, how you use your tone yeah. of voice, the way that you explain, the way that you give them a bit of time. I know, I know, makes yeah. a real difference. Absolutely, I remember I was had to turn up with a locksmith to somebody who was being chucked out, and thankfully, in the end, we managed to get them reprieved, and um, they managed to uh, sort it out. I managed to sort it out with the council, and they managed to stay there. But the the horror of actually trying to evict them, it was dreadful. And luckily, we managed to keep them there and we managed to sort it out. I can't remember the great details, but I do remember having to go with the locksmith and we had to evict. And thankfully, they were able to stay put. But it's just dreadful. Do you know, I think of, of the jobs that I've done as a surveyor, yeah, there are many that come to mind for different reasons, but one of the heartbreaking and difficult ones is when you have to do repossessions. Oh, that must be. And, ba- and back in the day, we used to have to turn up with the police and a, and a locksmith, and you know, people usually people would just have left, and then we were allowed to to go in. You'd park your car in a different street so that they could yeah. see you, but you know, you'd go in and there'd be the kiddies' breakfast on the table. I know, you know, Horrible. and it was just heartbreaking to see how people had got to where they had got yeah. no, no repossessing doesn't happen straight no. away I know but that's the one thing I hope that we we don't see with this pandemic is yeah. is a return to that it would just be really difficult but you know you learn from it yes, you know you, you, you see you, you see the jobs work, work the job warts and all and you just mm. learn from it so yeah, yeah. And, and you yeah mm. so yeah so I'm here on my own now and thoroughly enjoying it and now this this pandemic has made me think again and you just think something good will come of something bad so we'll all be better in the long run I hope but it'll be interesting to see how we go forward I'm not quite sure how I will go forward but um, we wait and see I think 
Julia, it's been lovely to talk to you this morning. Many thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great stuff. You've been listening to the Surveyor Hub podcast. We'd love it if you leave a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you want to find out more about how we're making a difference, visit us at blueboxpartners.com. Thank you.